Welcome to the Lot Carey Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, pastor of the First Baptist Church of New Market in Piscataway, New Jersey, and learning coordinator for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. The Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving weekly podcast grows from a multi-year journey among pastors committed to flourishing in ministry. This is a project of the Lot Carey Foreign Mission Society and is made possible through the generous support from the Lilly Endowment. Learn more about Lot Carey and how it helps churches to extend the Christian witness throughout the world at lotcarey.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. Join us for weekly conversations with pastoral thought leaders who share wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Let's join Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, Associate Dean for Vocational Formation and Christian Witness at Duke Divinity School and the Project Director for Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. This week, He's in conversation with Reverend Dr. John W. Kenny, pastor of the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Beaver Dam, Virginia. We rejoice today to have conversation with Dr. John Kenny. Many of us know Dr. Kenny for his, among other things, for his longtime outstanding service as both a theologian and an educator, uh, he is retired as the Dean of the Samuel DeWitt Proctor School of Theology at Virginia Union University in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, and after he retired, they just wouldn't let him go. And so he also is a professor of theology there. And in addition to being a uh, first-class uh, uh, theologian and administrator, he is also simultaneously uh, been the pastor of the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Beaver Dam, Virginia. So, Dr. Kenny, thank you so much for sharing in this conversation with us today. Well, you're quite welcome, and I thank you for the gracious invitation and look forward to our conversation. We are a part doing a journey that we call Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. And uh, we have had over 50 pastors who have been on pilgrimage together personally, and now we're doing everything virtually. But as we've been talking about flourishing in ministry, we do not assume that every round goes higher and higher. Rather, there are sometimes like a tree when there are leaves on the limb, sometimes it's full bloom, sometimes leaves are falling away. And other times it's bare branches, but still a tree can be thriving. That's one way of thinking about thriving in ministry or flourishing in ministry. From your experience as a, a pastor and a teacher, equipper of pastors and a counselor to pastors, can you describe for us some way or some ways you think about flourishing in ministry? Well, whenever I think about flourishing, 
I think about vitality and life. So flourishing in ministry for me has always been how does this moment contribute to life and more abundant life, greater meaning in life, and expose the depths of life. So by definition, for me, that means that flourishing has moments. And I think you quite appropriately indicated that something can be flourishing, but have a season of dormancy. A flourishing reality may even have a diseased moment and the flourishing may not be uh, uh, limited by the disease. It is only limiting when you fail to address the disease because addressing the disease may be in fact a contribution to your flourishing and how you addressed it. And so uh, for me, flourishing is a very dynamic concept that is Flourishing means to be alive, and to be alive, it means to encounter various experience, dimensions, movements, and aspects of the living process. There are moments of grief. There are moments of celebration. There are moments of disappointment. There are moments of euphoria. There are moments of agony. There are moments of ecstasy. But I don't have to juxtapose moments in the movement in such a way that what appears as a negative cannot be uh, engaged in a fashion that even every moment is either a lift moment or a learning moment that contributes to our greater living. And so as, uh, as long as I've lived and as the multiple ways that my life has found expression, I've had some moments that would present themselves as having the power to defeat you but they were actually moments in the movement of existence where you gained resources to move into another level of abundant living and flourishing. Can you talk to us a little bit about what prohibits people from dealing with the disease and what the benefits can be if we can bring ourselves to do that? I think one of the reasons that we uh, sometimes often don't deal with the pain is because of denial. And sometimes we even use spirituality as a basis for denial rather than a call to greater vitality. I think sometimes, particularly as ministers, we are afraid to indicate, communicate, and express our own vulnerability and things that hurt us and wound us because as ministers, we're in a state of relationship with God where such pain should never be in our lives. And pain then becomes the indication of a failure in relationship and leads to the diminution of your authority in the pulpit because if you were really with God, you would be having this problem. That's the way that um, one of the ways I think that sometimes within the context of the church that we want uh, uh, to, to deny pain. And the other thing is that we know the pain is real, but we want to maintain an appearance because my identity is defined by the appearance rather than the reality. And I think one of the key things for me has been, um, even as I've grown in ministry, is the people that I lead know that I'm also vulnerable. 
that I've hurt. I have a family and I struggle and I wrestle with what it means to be a good father, a good husband, come on, a good grandfather, well, all those things, guess what? And I have to, you have to deal with disappointment. Here's what I would wanna suggest. If something is flourishing, and I, I always affirm this, uh, Dr. Goatley, if you're really flourishing, then you've got to expect forces that are inimical to your flourishing to attack your well-being. And most things that are never attacked, it is because they're already possessed. You have made comfort with your disease and you have normalized the negative reality that you now function with uh, within a, a reality that is polluted, but the toxins have so consumed you, you don't even recognize it's toxic anymore. And if you are truly committed to health, you are constantly examining what might be those elements in my existence that pose a threat to my well-being? Uh, there's something I say all the time and sometimes get me in trouble. If you have never been attacked as a person of faith or your church has never been attacked, it is not because you're highly favored. It's because you're so trifling that your existence is not a threat to the demonic. If you read all the time in scripture, the reason something comes against you is because you're positioned for a life and an expression of being and flourishing that threatens the forces of death, destruction, and decay. Jesus flourished and got crucified, but the power of flourishing allowed him to rise. We've been encouraging pastors to handle uh, methodologically something that we call a formula for flourishing. And essentially it uh, poses that, that if a pastor builds the content of ministry out of leadership capacity, and service context, there's a higher probability for flourishing. So the idea mm -hmm. is not try to drag and drop what somebody else did, but who, who God is equipping you to be, where God has called you to serve, take that and then build your content of ministry. So using that kind of methodology around ministry could you talk to us about how your context of service has informed your content of ministry? The church that I've been with for over 40 years, when I went to that church uh, initially, I've been called by the same church twice. Um, I, I left uh, this area and went to Chicago Theological Seminary, and then God led me back here. And when I came back, the church was in a situation where they were vacant again, and they called me again. Um, uh, but the important thing, I think, about the context was when I went there, the name of the church was Ebenezer Baptist Church, Negro Foot, Virginia. For reportedly, the church is located in the fork of the road where runaway slaves 
had their appendages removed and then hung in the trees so that anyone else who had a vision for freedom uh, would be intimidated and rethink any desire to be free. That's the context of the actual history of the church. And I want to suggest that when I went to pastor in that context, Negro foot mentality was still there. And what I mean by Negro foot mentality, there were still those in the environment who had the, had the slave master mentality. And then there were still those who had a dependency compliance mentality. And part of the entire ministry has been about recognizing this context and understanding that contexts are dynamic. I can talk about where I went historically, but I can recite uh, volumes of the changes that have taken place both in context and the necess necessity to be context responsive. The context when I, when I went there that most of the people were rural. Uh, now that whole area is changing. It's becoming more ex-urban. And uh, um, many of the people work locally in, uh, there were farmers or they work locally like in a, in a, in a, uh, a chicken factory, a shirt, a shirt factory. They worked um, uh, for a couple businesses that were in the area. Now that whole, their whole context has expanded. What context led me to recognize was that ministry meant empowering the people to both understand God, but to understand themselves and to understand the agency they had to create futures that were not dictated by someone other than God and their own centers of operation. Being a seminary professor, I've always tried to say, to try to find ways of how you bring what we have done in seminary to the pew and not see the seminary is over here and this is for a select group. But ultimately, if God is blessing you here, how are you releasing that blessing in your context? And how is that context requiring you that you have a level of fluency, nimble and nimbleness that you know how to adapt and nuance it in a way it can be received, uh, celebrated, and sometimes in a way that just opens people up to a possibility that's beyond our constructed limits and constraints. So context has been very important for me and it's taught me much. I wanna recall something I learned very young when I was in seminary. I got all, you know how it is, Dr. Goatley, I got all hyped up with seminary, you know, and you get a little big headed with, yeah, yeah, you can throw around these terms. I went to visit a church because me and two of my friends, we had this group um, uh, 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 about uh, the black church, huh? Reclaiming the black church, and we were gonna show the black church how to be black. And I was always fascinated by philosophical and theological categories. And Dr. Wright always teased me, even made a joke out of me at a at a roasting once. And I went 
And I was, I, uh, Dr. Goldie, I was being deep. I was deep and I will say, Karl Marx and you got to understand the Forbachian critique and and folk just shut down on me. They weren't, they weren't even looking at me, you know, start turning their backs to me and stuff. And uh, uh, then at the end, they called on a deacon that I later, later learned only had a sixth grade education. When that deacon prayed, the folk start, hallelujah, praise God. And, and in my youthful ignorance and arrogance, I got angry. You know, I didn't say anything. But I'm saying, look, this, this here I am, working on my master's degree out in this sixth grade educated deacon. And people would come up and wouldn't even shake my hand. They kind of walked by you and nod at you. Or they shook your hand. They didn't grab your hand. They took maybe two fingers and just shook them. and said, thank you. Uh, but I'll never forget when, when after we were through and the pastor said he's what he called on that deacon. He said, we want to thank these young men for coming here tonight and uh, God bless them. But I feel a need for prayer. And that deacon prayed, man. And I knew I tried to hide it, but I couldn't. And when it was over, there was one mother in the church came up to me. And she put her hand right here right below my bed breastplate on my stomach. And she said, young man, I see you. And there is a fountain bubbling in you. But hear me now and hear me clearly. If you want us to drink from that fountain, you better learn how to bring our water in a cup we recognize. It went right over my head. But really what she was saying is, if you have all of this and you don't have the capacity to be fluent in the context, respond to the context and communicate to the context, you're gonna always be with us as the other. She was really saying, with the gift of you, that you have, when will you walk with us and engage rather than engage us like we're either beneath you or other than you. And so I've been extremely sensitive to context. And that's why, you know, believe it or not, I, uh, in my ministry, the, 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 the people who may be drunk on the street and some of my folk that are around that I know use drugs, I still stop and have conversations with them. I stop and I don't talk about your sinner and your loss. I'll talk. How you doing today? And they'll say, well, and they'll sometimes use some words and I don't, I, I'll talk to them. I'll hear them. And then I, in a very real sense, speak life to them. That's flourishing. Because attention to the context will help you perceive by the spirit how to water and cultivate the ground in which you're called to function. A word to our listeners. Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast is funded by the Lilly Endowment through its Thriving in Ministry initiative. 
We'll be right back with more from the interview. Since 1897, the Lotkari Global Christian Missional Community has helped churches to extend the Christian witness around the world. We collaborate with indigenously-led communities to bear good and faithful witness to Christ Jesus through ministries of evangelism, compassion, empowerment and advocacy in Africa, Asia, the Caribbean, Europe, North America, Oceania and South America. Together, we are touching lives with transforming love. You too can help to extend the Christian witness throughout the world. Visit us at lotcarry.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot O-R-G. Thanks for praying for and investing in the good news globally through word and deed. Welcome back to the Lot Carry Podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, the Learning Coordinator of Lot Carry's Thriving in Ministry Program. Each week in this podcast, my colleague, Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, interviews a prominent Black pastoral leader to gain insight for flourishing in ministry. Now back to more of his interview with Reverend Dr. John W. Kinney, pastor of the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Beaverdam, Virginia. Dr. Kinney, you've talked with us about how context informs content. Could you talk to us a little bit about how capacity, how the capacity of a pastoral leader informs content either from your own story or from others you're thinking about? Let me tell you, you can't separate um, flourishing from the recognition of your capacity and your incapacity. <laughs> what I mean by, by uh, capacity, my own capacity has grown. And um, one of the great learning lessons of life is how to recognize capacity, but how capacity and operating in that capacity can be harmful and destructive to others. I've always had the ability to multitask, to attend to a lot of things. Uh, God has blessed me that I can I can think on the fly. You can ask me at the last minute and I can do it. I, you know, you can, okay, I, I will find find a way to do this. Okay, let me tell you what we're going to do. Can you give me 30 minutes to let me get, let me have my devotion and I'm going to see it. I'm going to see it. I'm going to see it. Something's going to come up and try to do that. Now, but what I have found out sometimes that my capacity infringes upon other people because you demand that other people do what you do. <laughs> and not everybody's wired like that. The second thing, the danger of having a lot of capacity is that you will take anything on yourself. <laughs> Can I tell you honestly what I had to learn as a pastor? Because I had capacity, my capacity to get things done often 
disenfranchise the people who could do it if you've only give them space to do it and not not place a a a kind of constraint upon them that you didn't give them space and time to grow can i be honest and you know i'm at this point i'm transparent i even had to learn this as a parent because you always stepped in and fixed it or you identified their fault and took it over it's one of the failures of deeply invested parenting. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, it can, that, can, that can invade in the leadership. But the other thing that helped me uh, begin to understand that is the more that I grew in my relationship with God, the more I accepted that the fundamental way of God is through mutuality, reciprocity, and partnership. And I spend a lot of my time now, before I stepped into this, I was in another setting. And in that setting, I discern not only was who was being affirmed, but who was not being affirmed. And immediately the spirit said, take a moment to call out. And these just happened to be young people. You know, parents were being elevated, but the young people who, who were there were not being. And what I'm saying is, is not just to do that as a gesture in group dynamics, but the internal recognition and affirmation is you can't do what you do without partners. And acknowledging partners enables you to expand capacity to get things done. <laughs> and what I mean by that is their capacity becomes my capacity. Whatever you've been positioned in your life, whatever tools and skills and abilities and capacities you've been positioned in your life to get, whether you got it in a, a trade school, whether you got it in a PhD, whether you got it on the job training, whatever it is, it has potential to be expanded capacity for ministry. Get it. But after you get it, release it in my name. How I tried to use this with students, because so often when students go to seminary, we almost treat them like we want you to forget all that stuff now. You're in seminary now, and you got to focus on what the seminary teach you as, less, as if we're the only repository of knowledge. I would remind them every, everything you've been through because before you got to this moment, God was equipping you. Your seminary did not start when you stepped on the campus of Duke. It did not start when you stepped on the campus of Virginia Union. It started way back here when you did this and you went through that. That was part of your preparation when you finally said yes. So when you come to seminary, don't jettison all of that and leave it behind. We're not asking you to live, leave where you've been in the church, what you've done in the church. Now we want you to bring it to this moment and see how this moment equips and positions you to take everything you've learned and pour it out in the name of God. So in that sense, what I'm suggesting is uh, that capacity is always developing. Every, every encounter I have, when I sit with David Goatley, I come away with expanded capacity. The greatest threat to your own capacity development is arrogance. 
You can never be anointed in arrogance and you can never grow in arrogance because arrogance bolts and blocks the door to the maximal manifestation of what you have in you and what God wants to pour into you. You keep blocking it because you think you got it rather than position yourself to receive the more. And the more sometimes is, is in um, other people. Part of my capacity is recognizing where I don't have capacity and God has put angels around me. And I respect and honor them. But I also live my life, even in the almost to the middle decade, uh, uh, the middle of my seventh decade. I'm not through yet. You watch, I'm learning, I'm discerning. Uh, and that means that wherever flourishing is, there will be expansion of capacity and the inclusion of capacity that's not yours, but contributes to the experience of capacity for the flourishing institution and the flourishing, flourishing church. So that's a, that's a kind of piece. I don't know if I uh, answered the question, uh, Doc, but that's what flowed from me in, that, in the, the moment when I think about my own capacity. And the other piece is some of the most marvelous things that have come into my life was not because I was pushing but I was trying to operate at maximum capacity where I was. And I begin to understand that it, because if you don't give your best in a place you think is a limitation, you will never demonstrate the capacity to handle that which is beyond your present limitation. Flourishing means that life is in front of you. Flourishing means that you see more, you expect more, and you invest in more. And when I say more, I'm not talking about more stuff. I'm not talking about having more. I'm talking about being more. Living in the abundance of life and sharing life that life radiates from the things that you touch, the things that you're a part of. One of the things I've had to learn is to not only share life, but to let life come to you. Dr. John Kenny, the pastor of the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Beaver Dam, Virginia, professor of theology at the Samuel DeWitt Proctor School of Theology at Virginia Union University, and also the retired dean from that school we want to thank you for your ministry among us. And thank you for giving me an opportunity to share. And I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for joining us today for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, a weekly podcast from Lot Carey as we listen in on conversations with prominent pastoral thought leaders. Join us next week for a conversation with a new guest and fresh insights. Wisdom from the Black Church for the whole church. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie.
Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media. Music by Makita McQuarrie. Share the word with those who need to hear it. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, wherever you get your podcasts. Also listen online at lotcarry.org. Thank you.